1: Bloomberg Sound On, the insiders, the influencers, the
2: insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure
3: has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On, on
0: Bloomberg Radio.
3: I'm Rick Davis. And coming up on the show today, we talked to Congressman John Garamondi from California. I'm Rick Davis, along with my fellow Bloomberg political contributor, Jeannie Shanzano, Zeno. And today joining us on the is, <laughs> panel <laughs> not on the palette, is Bill McGinley. Uh, Bill comes from uh, the uh, firm of the Vogel Group and was a former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee. So welcome, Bill. And let's jump right in. Uh, a lot of news today from uh president biden's trip to uh, louisiana and uh and i wanted to uh, get a sense from the panel uh he uh he was trying to garner support for his uh 2.3 trillion dollar infrastructure plan and speaking in front of a dilapidated bridge uh that dramatically uh represented decaying infrastructure uh, both democrats and republicans pledged to rebuild that bridge uh biden said that americans job plan Uh, will be investing in American workers and that the U.S. needs to compete with China. But China's been making some news today too in the Biden administration and we've got sound on that.
4: Chinese are eating our lunch. They're eating our lunch economically. They're investing hundreds of billions of dollars in research and development. That's why right now if it keeps going the way they're going to own the electric car market in the world. They're going to own a whole range. We got to compete. Bill,
3: I want to start with you, if I can. Uh, I'm kind of curious if you think latching China and sort of the bipartisan interest in competing with China will help uh, Joe Biden sell his infrastructure bill in Congress.
5: I think what he's trying to do is leverage the bipartisan support for uh, extending the China investment ban and bootstrapping that onto uh, infrastructure. I think the Republicans' common complaint about the, the president's uh, infrastructure plan is that uh, it's everything but a small portion that's actually going to go to roads, bridges, uh, airports, um, war, you know, water infrastructure, rural broadband, and some of the other really popular bipartisan projects that the American people want to see done where they can actually get a return on investment and help this economy move forward once we come out of the pandemic. So I think it was a smart play by the president, but I think it's going to fall on deaf ears with uh, Republicans up on Capitol Hill who have put down a more scaled back Uh, by uh, uh, infrastructure proposal that actually puts uh, the the money where it needs to go. And that is on the the hardscape uh, infrastructure we need to take care of.
3: Yeah, Bill. And and there seems to be uh, some interest in this bipartisan card by the Biden administration, because reporting has it that he's likely to keep uh, the Trump China investment ban. And I I was curious if you thought that was a surprise or uh, is that just good policy getting picked up from one administration to another?
5: I think that's good policy getting picked up from one administration to another. Um, It's one thing to say things on the campaign trail and and try to have a reset in the relationship. It's another thing to come into power and actually have access to the information that decision makers need to rely on. Um, The China investment ban, as we know, in January, there was some confusion about it. Uh, The New York Stock Exchange uh, originally delisted then relisted a couple of companies until Secretary Mnuchin clarified that. Uh, The Biden administration has missed the deadline for them to put out their list. Uh, But I would expect them to do that in short order. The markets crave uh, uh, stability, and uh, I think that they're going to have to come forward with that. It's too important, both in terms of human rights and national security.
3: Jeannie, do you have any questions on that?
2: I certainly do. You know, I just want to follow up on what you and Bill were talking about, which is, you know, him standing in front of this bridge. I I think it is incredibly important because, you know, he is making a case that all Republicans and Democrats and most Americans agree with, which is that our hard or core infrastructure is in need of, you know, is wildly in disrepair and in need of fixing. Um, I live, you know, very, very close to a bridge that just became the Mario Cuomo Bridge, but before that was the Tappan Zee Bridge, which was dilapidated for years here in Westchester County in New York. So it's something that most people agree with. But Bill, what I wanted to ask you was, where do you think? How how high do you think Republicans are willing to go? We've seen this proposal. We've seen Shelley Moore Capital come out. She says she's having good discussions with and good conversations with the White House. How high do you think, in terms of cost, Republicans are prepared to go for hardcore? infrastructure?
5: Look, I think that their opening bid is is in the billions, not the trillions. Um, I think that it'll probably it's not going to end up in the middle. I think if they really want bipartisan support, it's going to be closer to a billion dollars on the shovel ready projects that uh, everybody agrees needs to to be taken care of. Um, This is going to be a lot of give and take. You know, one of the things that that we see out of the Biden uh, White House is the definition of bipartisanship uh, means that they're able to pull a uh, political poll that shows that Republicans and Democrats uh, responded favorably to the question asked. It doesn't mean necessarily working across the aisle with Republican senators and House members. And so I think that this this infrastructure test and the amount that's going to be spent and where it's going to be spent and what it's spent on is going to be a true test to see whether there actually is going to be able to be some bipartisanship in Washington.
3: Yeah, we even heard today, Bill, from uh, uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, still have trouble saying Minority Leader, uh, that uh, that uh, he's open to negotiation, uh, but that it sounds like he wants those deals, that deal on his terms. In other words, you know, this sort of what Jeannie was saying, starting with the uh, Capito proposal and then maybe going up from there. And And Biden kind of echoed his willingness to do that by talking about how open to negotiation, He is on his 28 percent tax hike on corporations. Do you think Biden is sort of negotiating against himself right now or uh, are we just seeing the dance before the marriage?
5: I I think it's the dance before the potential marriage on this. Um, I think right now both parties are engaged in political posturing, as we totally expect them to do. Um, I think that uh, Minority Leader uh, uh, McConnell is, uh, so you have trouble with that, the same see, thing. I, know. I, I have trouble with it, too. <laughs> it's just uh, it's a tongue twister that I just haven't accepted yet. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, look, I think uh, Minority Leader McConnell is doing exactly what he should be, which is, you know, he was sent there to represent those Americans in the flyover uh, states where these, these infrastructure projects like rural broadband, uh, bridges and, and roads and everything else uh, really are the engine for economic recovery. And I think making sure that those precious dollars, uh, we don't have unlimited money, but those precious dollars actually going to those projects that are going to improve the American economy uh, in the lives of Americans exactly what he should be doing. And I think he's doing the right
2: thing. You know, I, I don't think that Chuck Schumer is going to be happy with either one of you who can't get to the <laughs> point of saying minority leader in terms of McConnell. Um, so in in terms of this issue of the infrastructure, Bill, one of the things that I keep hearing um, is sort of a wavering amongst Democrats in terms of whether this has to be paid for up front. Because of course, when we talk about businesses, these kind of capital expenses don't have to be paid for necessarily upfront and all at once. So, do you think there is some room to maneuver on that score?
5: Uh, if you're referring to taxes, I think that most Republicans would agree that as we come out of this pandemic, the last thing we should be doing is increasing taxes uh, that are only going to take away jobs uh, and stifle growth. Um, the reason to invest in the infrastructure is to help the economy. And I think, you know, trying to find a way to, to pay for it without. Um, you know, really putting burdens on small businesses and the workers who staff them, um, I think it's going to be the way to go, whether it's the, you know, they, they talk about the capital gains tax uh, tax being increased, which is going to disproportionately hit the small business owners and farmers. Um, if you're talking about any of the other uh, taxes that are going to be happening there that could have a material impact on investment, um, that's not the way to pay for the infrastructure package. Uh, there's got to be other ways to do it. Uh, it could be a pay as you go, but Uh, this is going to be a thorny issue. And I think, you know, what Rick was mentioning about the dance before the marriage, I think that's really where the rubber's going to meet the road, not only in terms of are you going to limit the scope of of spending to where it should be, uh, but also how are you going to pay this tap? Because remember, we've already spent over $5 trillion since the pandemic began, and eventually those bills come due.
3: Yeah, and I think it's a a really good point, Bill, that, uh, you know, This debate is uh, you love to talk about the programs that are going to help people and especially on infrastructure. it just, you know, jobs and improving the community is just a a really good political uh, uh, axe to grind. But but when you start talking about how to spend money for it and, you know, Biden says, well, we got to we got to you know, we got to raise taxes to spend this money and nobody wants to go in any more debt. Uh, You've got a you've got a whole contrarian sort of philosophy that starts to exist. And and maybe the Democrats, you know, we talk about Joe Manchin quite a bit on this program because he seems to be the one most important person in Washington, has already said that, uh, that, you know, he's not willing to take that corporate tax up to 28 percent in order to pay for this infrastructure. But maybe he could be negotiated around. The, uh, the, the 25% or something around there. And, and, and so you, you see the meeting of these forces around huge amounts of money uh, where, you know, can you pay for the deal that Biden has already suggested if you don't get this, this tax level? Or, or are you going to have to cut a deal with Republicans? And does that give you then an option of uh, producing less in the way of taxes? Uh, we're going uh, to be talking more about this and, and other programs as, as other issues as we get along in the program. Uh, but uh, I want to uh, mention, too, that uh, coming up later in the program, Uh, We're going to have Congressman uh, John Garamundi. Uh, He is uh, a longtime congressman from California, Democrat, uh, in a district that spans San Francisco to Sacramento. So it's a it will be an interesting conversation to have with him and uh, and and on the topics of the day. So um, uh, I want to just say that uh, I appreciate having Jeannie and Bill McGinty here. And I'm Rick Davis. And this is Bloomberg.
2: This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio.
3: I'm Rick Davis, along with Bloomberg politics contributor, Jeannie Sean Zeno, and Bill McGinley, principal at the Vogel Group and former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier in the program about China and uh, its impact on infrastructure, and we've got sound from the president today on just that.
4: Every single thing from the deck of an aircraft carrier to railing in a new building is going to be built by an American company, American workers, American supply chain, so that we invest American tax dollars in American workers.
3: Now, what he's not saying is every time he says America, he's saying not China, not China, not China. And so I want to get back to that just a little bit more while we finish out this conversation about infrastructure and move on to other things. But, um, uh, Bill, we talked earlier about whether or not Republicans would be uh, uh, persuaded by this argument that somehow infrastructure is directly related to our China program. Uh, But we haven't talked much about the China program itself, other than the fact that Joe Biden has now uh, said – he hasn't said it, but we're getting reporting – that uh that he may continue this um this uh ban on certain investment in china Uh, do you see uh the china mandate the china uh issue really dominating the foreign policy of this administration or or are there other things that are going to come on the plate that ultimately will steal the show from china
5: look i think china is going to be the dominant issue that they're going to deal with in foreign policy and i think the the tone was sent in the uh in the Anchorage, Alaska meeting that happened right after the, uh, the inauguration. Um, that was a fairly contentious meeting. Um, I think it's important to remember that the Trump administration um, imposed their list under the old law. Um, a lot of it was tied to uh, companies um, that uh, did work with the, uh, the Chinese military. But remember, there was the law that was adopted in January of this year over President Trump's uh, veto, Um, That really kind of expanded the investment ban to not only do uh, cover what was done in the Trump administration, but also to include the technology sector, um, including anybody who's tied to espionage or human rights abuses uh, or manufacturing. So I think the Biden's got a pretty wide swath uh, on their desk of of companies to consider. uh, And I think what they're going to have to do is weigh the pros and cons on this. uh, But ultimately, there's going to be bipartisan support not only to impose the bans on these companies, uh, but also to make sure in terms of infrastructure that we're domesticating the supply chain. One thing that the pandemic has taught us is that relying on foreign uh, materials and products in order to make American goods uh, really exposes this country to risk. And I think policymakers at all levels of government um, are eager to try and find a solution to domesticating the supply chain.
3: Yeah, well said, Bill. And and, and going from... Um, uh, country risk to financial risk, Um, uh, security exchange commissioner, uh, newly installed uh, chairman Gary Gensler told lawmakers today that the U.S. investors lack protections uh, when they trade Bitcoin and cryptocurrency exchanges and discussed the GameStop fallout, saying that he had concerns that uh, orderly flow of payments could raise conflicts between brokerages and their clients. Uh, This is a topic that we've been talking about on this show for quite some time, but that he wasn't sure that there was a quick or easy way to, uh, to fix this problem. We've got sound on that.
4: Make sure that our rule set inspires more competition rather than concentration. And we have seen, as you noted in your hearing, an increasing concentration in market making and also separately in brokerage and particularly around retail order flow. And so I've asked the staff, both from the Division of Economic Research and Analysis and Trading and Markets, to sort of give us a view, give give internally the commission a view, what, what should we be thinking about in our market structure to address this?
3: So, Jeannie, we've been talking about game stock We've been talking about cryptocurrency for some time. Uh, it, it's kind of one of the things we think... Could have some bipartisan resonance here, (laughs) um, considering that both Republicans and Democrats seem concerned about this. Do you you see uh, uh, Gary's uh, Chairman uh, Gensler's comments uh, being at all uh, uh, controversial today, or is he just declaring uh, the facts as he knows them?
2: Well, you know, I thought it was a fascinating hearing today. It was the third, I believe, and the final focused on this issue, as you mentioned, we've been talking about in terms of GameStop. And I think just the the portion you just played where he said his staff is working on a report that's going to address some of these issues, I'm really looking forward to and curious to see what they have to say. I believe he said that'll be released this summer. And he is talking about potentially new rules may be needed. And fascinating, he talked about the fact, I I think the quote was that through gamification, you're using psychological props to get people to trade more. And this is, you know, relevant to all the things we've been talking about in this context and also Facebook and others. And of course, Gensler has had a rocky start. You know, it's only his third week on the job about. So I thought it was a fascinating hearing all around. And to your point, I do think we probably will see some new rules of the game. And I do think there is bipartisan support on that.
3: Well, thanks, Jeannie. I th- I th- gamification of investment. We're going to have to learn a whole new uh, vocabulary <laughs> in order to keep in, in touch with what, what's going on here. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be joined later in the program by Congressman John Garamundi from California, Democrat, uh, and uh, Bill uh, McGinley, uh, principal at Vogel Group, will be continuing on with us uh, in the next segment. So we look forward to uh, exploring this and other topics. I'm Rick Davis, and this is Bloomberg. I'm Rick Davis, along with Bloomberg politics contributor Jeannie Sean Zeno and Bill McGinley, principal at the Vogel Group and former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee. And since I have the uh, former deputy counsel of the Republican National Committee with us, I I thought it would be good to talk about some of the hot news today on Capitol Hill uh, and the uh, sort of inter-party fight for leadership positions. Many prominent Republicans have been calling for Representative Liz Liz Cheney to be removed from position as chairman of the House Republican Conference. Uh, Congresswoman Cheney, an outspoken critic of the former President Donald Trump, has reported that uh, uh, this push by her uh, repeated denunciations of Trump's comments related to the 2020 election results. Other Republican leaders, like Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, have refused to discuss this argument for the change in GOP leadership. Uh, During a press conference on Wednesday, President Biden uh, commented on this split, noting that the party is going through a mini-revolution. Not sure what that means, but this is something different than what we've seen – from him in the past. We've got sound on that.
4: I've been a Democrat for a long time. We've gone through periods where we've had internal fights and disagreements. I don't ever remember any like this. We need a two-party system. It's not healthy to have a one-party system. And I think the Republicans are further away from trying to figure out who they are and what they stand for than I thought they would be at this point.
3: So Bill, we got the President of the United States Democrat Joe Biden, giving us party advice on how to how to manage our own internal affairs. Um, what's your sense of the Biden comments when even Mitch McConnell, our leader in Congress, uh, senior leader in Congress, was wasn't willing to enter into this fray? And then if you could follow that up with your own thoughts on what's going on in the House leadership fight.
5: Well, I'm absolutely shocked that President Biden wants to engage in politics when it comes to internal uh, Republican issues. so He's just stirring the pot. In terms of where I think this is, I mean, I think Leader McConnell, uh, and I'm just going to shorten that title just so we can uh, say it without any issues. Um, I think Leader McConnell um, recognizes that the House uh, Republican caucus is, has its own way of settling these types of issues, and he's not going to get involved. Um, I thought that was exactly what he should do is let the House Republicans settle it. I think the House Republican caucus and I think Leader McCarthy said this out loud the other day, is basically focused not on the impeachment vote, which is what a lot of people tend to focus on. It's the fact that we just can't move, she can't move past and get on board with where the caucus is and trying to focus the energy and the attention on what needs to happen to take back the House of Representatives in 2022. I think even Democrats would acknowledge that Republicans uh, stand a really good shot of recapturing the House, uh, if not the House and the Senate in 2022. And I think, uh, you know, Leader McCarthy and Whip Scalise, I think that their frustration is instead of um, rehashing all of these issues, what they really want to do is unify the caucus, marshal the resources um, and take back that chamber so that they can uh, have input, if not stop some of the Biden policies that they believe are not going to be helpful for the American people.
3: Hey, Jeannie, um, even though you haven't seen Mitch McConnell weigh in on this, uh, and rightly so, I think, uh, based on what Bill says, um, you have had other senators like Mitt Romney weigh in on behalf of Liz Cheney. Uh, does the interparty party feud, uh, assuming we can call it that, uh, have any impact, you think, on our legislative strategy, the Republican legislative strategy on Capitol Hill? I mean, divided we fall, united we win. I mean, is there, is there something to do with that?
2: It's such a good question. You know, I I think that based on what Bill just said, I I couldn't agree more that Republicans are in a very good position. If you look at the census, you look at the upcoming reapportionment, you look at their, you know, obviously the history, the recent history of midterms. Republicans have a really good shot of picking up the House and potentially the Senate, given how close they are right now. And I think, you know, when you ask about does this impact their, their legislative agenda, They are the opposition. And so they are against Joe Biden and the Democrats almost at every turn. I don't think this changes that too much. And I will tell you, just going back to what President Biden said in the clip that you played, you know, I remember when when Barack Obama was elected, talking to friends who were talking about the demise of the Republican Party. Then I think Democrats need to be very cautious about that. I would not advise Joe Biden to be engaging in that kind of discussion. I agree with him. We need a strong, vibrant two party system. But to talk about the Republican Party as if it's near its end, I think is a bridge too far given what's likely to happen in about 18 months as we move into 2022.
3: Well, we can we can only hope that the president's listening on the program today. Sound on five <laughs> o'clock. Sure and he's he getting some <laughs> really good advice from our <laughs> panelists. Uh, if I could follow up with you, Jeannie, because one of the issues here is um, it looks a little bit bad for Republicans with women. Uh, Republican elected office holders have always had uh, challenges uh, getting women voters. Uh, does this uh, set us back uh, from the perspective of potentially having a conversation to try and bring more women into the party?
2: You know, I think that's why there is a lot of focus on Elise Stefanik to replace potentially to replace Liz Cheney. And I think there's been some grumbling there amongst others in the caucus because she's not seen as even as conservative as Liz Cheney, let alone some others. But I do think Republicans recognize that they've had an issue. And she, quite frankly, has been a pretty good fundraiser. The women who came in this last cycle, she had a hand in bringing them in. So I do think they are smart to focus on that. But obviously, Republicans need to need to do a much better job on that score in attracting women and minorities. And that gets back to what you said earlier about the focus on issues that people care about women and minorities care about. And things like, you know, not overextending ourselves potentially in terms of the deficit, not overspending and those kinds of issues. Those are attractive if they could get back to an argument like that and get off of revisiting 20 2020 they will help themselves there
3: okay bill real quick uh election is tomorrow let's say uh who wins in the leadership fight stefanik or cheney uh stefanik
5: and i think you know i thought Jeannie's comments were spot on uh one of the things to remember is that a lot of the candidates
3: uh she at least played a big bill we're gonna have to let genie's comments stand on their own uh thank you so much for being on the program today uh, in the next segment, we'll be uh, joined by Congressman John Garamundi from California, and we look forward to having him on the show. This is I'm Rick Davis, and this is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Rick Davis, along with Bloomberg politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, and joining us on the line now is Congressman John Garamundi, who is a Democrat representing California's third congressional district. And if I recall, that's somewhere between San Francisco and Sacramento. So welcome to the program, Congressman. And uh, we've been talking about the uh, uh, president's speech in Louisiana today uh, on the shores of Lake Charles in front of a dilapidated bridge, making the case for why we need to improve America's infrastructure. Uh, But we also have a lot of noise all around that debate. uh, Uh, positioning for bipartisanship. uh, uh, How are we going to pay for it? What's your sense of the state of the uh, negotiations right now or the state of play in the infrastructure bill uh, in the House or even uh, writ large in Congress?
1: I think there was a very good opportunity to do a major bipartisan infrastructure bill until Mitch McConnell spoke yesterday and said his 100% task is to stop Biden from doing anything. So I don't know how we go forward with any kind of a bipartisan infrastructure bill if, if that's where the Senate Republicans are.
3: Congressman, do you think that there's um, appetite or votes uh, for uh, potentially going it alone and, and doing like uh, the stimulus bill where you can take it through reconciliation and do it on a party line vote?
1: Well, let's start with there's an appetite for... Among Americans to do an infrastructure bill, I get it from you know heavy-duty Republicans, conservative business Republicans. They know they know they want. They know that we need, and they want a major infrastructure bill. All the pieces of it, they understand the need for uh, education. They understand the need for childcare. They want it now. The Senate and the House Republicans—that's another matter. They've become extraordinary resistant. Uh, And can we round up the votes uh, 50 percent plus one vote? I believe we can, because Democrats know exactly what the Republicans should know, that our citizens and our constituents want a big infrastructure bill.
2: So, Congressman, tomorrow we are looking forward to getting the jobs report, and the forecasts look like it may be around 900,000 plus or minus new jobs for April. Some very strong numbers. Do you think this these kinds of numbers, if that's what we see tomorrow, are going to make it difficult for Democrats to argue that we should be spending trillion more, trillions of dollars more? Um, because certainly I expect the Republicans will be highlighting that the economy recovering in this way, we don't need to be spending that much. So how do you respond to that?
1: I would say that's a rather foolish argument. The question goes the other way. What do we need to do to have a modern, competitive society and economy. Well, let's see. Bridges, I think the president was talking about that. Roads, I'm on a road right now, and I know I can hit a pothole any time and I can blow a tire or an alignment on this car. I know that uh, broadband infrastructure is not available in my district. My district cannot be a modern competitive district without broadband, and it doesn't exist today. You know, that uh, if we're going to compete with China, we have to have research, research facilities and researchers. And then we need to make the things that come from that research. How do we get that? Well, that's with a well-educated, well-prepared workforce. Uh, so, you know, you start that way. Start, at the, start piece by piece and add up the pieces. And then how much money do you need to carry out each of those tasks, not in one year, but over 10 years? That $1.8 trillion is a 10-year deal. That's, excuse me, little of it's almost nine years. Uh, so that's how you go about it, to just say, oh, that number's too big. Well, show me that it's too big. Show me that we don't need money for bridges. Show me we don't need money for roads. We don't need money for Amtrak. We don't need money for transit. We don't need a new uh, gateway uh, tunnel into Manhattan from, uh, from New Jersey. You show me that we don't need those things, and then we can subtract from the number.
2: Yeah. Living in New York City and in this area, I could tell you we do need that new tunnel. But a lot of the examples you just gave are these sort of hardcore infrastructure that most most Republicans and Democrats agree on. So is there a, you know, a number at which you would feel comfortable going down to to meet the Democrats? Be, I mean, sorry, the Republicans? Because I guess the argument is not that we don't need the bridges, the tunnels, the broadband, those things you lay out, but that with the economy recovering, we may not need it at $4 trillion.
1: You've you got the wrong argument. you got absolutely the wrong argument. It's not about the economy recovering. You're still going to have two to three million women that are not going to be in the workforce because they're going to be, they don't have childcare. Uh, you've got, but the, the argument that if we're going to find a number is just not the way to go about this. The argument is, sit down. How much money do you need for that? Uh, gateway Tunnel, okay? How much money do you need to rebuild the transit system in uh, in New York? How much money do you need to, uh, prepare, to uh, uh, prepare Manhattan for a sea level rise caused by a, a hurricane, as happened a decade and a half ago? Go through each one of those numbers and argue. We don't need that. We do need that. We don't need it? Okay, subtract it. If we do need it? All right. Now, how are we going to pay for it? And that's how this has to be done. And so, you know, I will I won't be put in a position of saying one point eight trillion is the magic number. The magic number comes from adding up each one of the specific infrastructure things we need. I was talking earlier today to uh, a group of um, uh, medical folks who, who cannot provide medical services, modern medical services, because they do not have fiber optic, broadband uh, communication availability. And, and that's the story in my district. My farmers cannot properly manage their irrigation system unless they have broadband communication available, and they do not. So tell my farmers, they don't need that. Well, okay, how are we going to compete with China if we don't have a modern very robust infa- uh, research infrastructure, with not only the laboratories and the facilities, but also the professors and the researchers. That's hey, how we go about this.
3: Yeah, Congressman, that makes so much sense, and we hear it from so many of your colleagues, especially in agriculture districts, where they say, "Look, you know, just because the urban areas have great telecommunications and broadband access, it doesn't mean the rest of the country does, and we need it for our economic development." And that links so much to the debate over supply chain and Buy America. So these are all intertwined, uh, very uh, important issues that um, that seem to be linked to the core of this infrastructure plan. So it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I want to appeal to one of your uh, historical achievements. You were the former Clinton uh, administration, uh, deputy interior secretaries. And today, uh, President Biden launched an initiative called America the Beautiful, where he's looking to put into land conservation 30% of land and water by 2030, a very ambitious goal coming from an agricultural district like you do. What's your impression of that initiative?
1: I think it's a great great concept. I don't know exactly what it is, but we do know that we must protect our land, uh, and our water, and and our air. Uh, Part of this ties back to climate change. Uh, We we certainly know that uh, if we allow our prime agricultural land here in California to be paved over for subdivisions, uh, we lose a very, very important part of our economy, and frankly, our ability to feed each other. So these are all things that are tied together. Water conservation, absolutely essential. We're in a drought in California. I'm a, I'm a rancher. I'm moving my cattle every week to pastures that are not, that where they can get food and water. The springs are drying up. And so we know that in the state of California, we're going to have a very, very tough year. Uh, but we do know that if we properly manage our water and we plan and we uh do the kinds of things like uh, off-stream reservoirs and underground water, we can make it through the dry drought years.
3: Congressman, I think that uh, uh, you make a really compelling point. Uh, Most people, when they think about land and water, they, they, they think about their own use. They don't realize that so much of it goes into the agricultural manufacturing process that we have in America that keeps everyone healthy and fed um uh, real quick uh how's your district doing as far as covid we see today the cdc says we're at a seven month low on the coronavirus and more and more states are starting to open up Uh, how's your district doing
1: Uh, we're doing well we're opening up but we're not vaccinating we're going to have to do some new techniques out here at vaccinating vaccinating i was talking to one of the major beer distributors in the area And they have uh, every fall they have a a flu vaccine program at their warehouses where everybody comes in and gets vaccinated in one day. We're going to have to do that, go out to where people are, uh, because right now our vaccination rate is is just too low. And uh, so we're going to we're going to have problems in the future if we don't deal with that uh, vaccination rate.
3: Well, Congressman, uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, your participation on the program today. Congressman John Garamendi from California uh, uh, represents an agricultural district and has a real keen interest in seeing that uh, something gets done on infrastructure this year. I want to thank Jeannie Sean Zeno, my partner at uh, Bloomberg, and, uh, and I'm Rick Davis, and this is Bloomberg.